0: welcome back to the legends lounge i'm Trill withers and with me in the lounge today he was a verbum day eagle he was a utah ute first round draft pick of the cleveland cavaliers and is the current head coach of the grand rapids gold the g league affiliate of the denver nuggets Andre Miller's in the lounge. First things first, thank you for joining us. How are you, man? I'm
1: pretty good. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Right, let's jump right in. I know you've been keeping up with the playoffs. I mentioned you were drafted by Cleveland, but you played more games with Denver. So first I'll ask you, what does it mean to see the Nuggets in the finals?
1: I mean, it's, it's been a long time coming. You know, Denver has been consistent all year. You know, they got a, a megastar over there and Joker, and, and, and the team is – you know, comprised of young guys and, and some good veterans who, are, who have been proven throughout the league. So, you know, hats off to the Denver Nuggets organization and, and uh, the amount of work that the coaching staff has put in to this point.
0: Hmm. What do you remember about Denver as a basketball city?
1: I mean, I've, I've been following the Denver Nuggets since I was a little kid, all the way back to, to Fat Lever, Michael Adams, you know, uh, David Thompson, you know, so, I mean, uh, you know, I was a fan from a distance, especially a fat lever, And, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a solid franchise for a long time. It's it just, you know, with the way the NBA is and, you know, the, the focus on, the, you know, the big market teams, they haven't really gotten over that hump. So to see this team, you know, this organization and, you know, to, to, to make it to the finals and, and possibly win the championship, says a lot about the city says a lot about the the management and the ownership, you know, and, and, you know, that'd be what the, the, the last three years, you know, you got football, you got hockey and if Denver, the Nuggets can win something that, you know, you know, that's a, that's a good thing for the city.
0: Definitely. Uh, So let me ask you, walk me through how coach looks at it. Like, what do you make of this finals matchup? Where will, where will Denver have the advantage
1: against Miami? I think Denver have the matchup, uh, the advantage all the way around. You know, from size to defense um, to leadership um, to veterans. You know, I mean, from one to fifteen and a solid coaching staff. You know, it's you know anything can happen. I just, I just think Miami is is putting a lot of work to this point. They're very, very well coached, probably. One of the better coaches, Spolstra. So, one thing I can say that you know the Heat are so disciplined and so well coached that anything can happen at this point.
0: Let me ask you about the altitude in Denver. Like, what what, what kind of factor will that be for Miami? How long does that take to to get adjusted to as a as a player?
1: Well, they're not going to get adjusted to the altitude, so they can they can uh, forget that. You know, it's <laughs> right. it's going to come down to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you need like, you know, two weeks to a month, you know, to get used to that. And, um, you know, just just playing in the aptitude at- for in college and also in the NBA, you know, it, it's tough, you know, so you got to figure out a way to pace yourself. And it, it's definitely going to be a factor, you know, if it gets later on into the series.
0: What do you make of the, the rest versus rust? Because we see Miami coming off Game Seven, they had. I think it'll be three days of rest. Denver, you know, finished the Lakers. Feels like a long time ago. They've had about ten days of rest. So where where do you fall on the the rest versus rust?
1: I mean uh, the the rest the rest is definitely a, important. I have I didn't never make it past Mother's Day. You know when I was past, so I don't know what it's like to, you know, really really be, dragging at this point in the season, but. You know, if I if I had to say, you know, the the rest is important, you know, I don't think those guys will lose much rhythm. You know, uh, I think the toughest part for the Nuggets will be, you know, the amount of energy that's in the building and how can they stay composed and execute their plan. But, you know, so far so good for the Nuggets and you know, the Miami Heat, you know, they they might still be riding, riding the wave and and not be on fumes, you know, they have a lot of guys that you know can come in and contribute, you know, um, definitely can keep up with the Nuggets as far as in the in the shooting, you know, with the three points. So the three point line is going to be a big difference in the series. And and then you know you got the megastar factor as far as can the Miami Heat, you know, control the big fella.
0: You think they'll have much luck there? Not a not a lot of teams have.
1: Well, I mean, you know, they haven't had a lot of luck. It's it's like pick your poison. You just hope that. You know, you know they could keep him off the boards and and maybe keep him off a of, uh being being a playmaker. But you know, might have to find a way to put put a Joker in pick and rolls and and sometimes you know get him up and down the court. But you know it's tough. You know he's a big fella. He's 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 ready for prime time. He's been ready for a long time. He's prepared. So he's pretty much seen everything. But you know that's going to be the deciding factor who, if, if he can stop Big Fella.
0: Hmm. now we're here. Tyler Harrell may be coming back after five six weeks off have you ever had like a long layover like that I'm curious to whether it's like is it best to like should you ease him back into the rotation are the stakes too high at this point what do you what do you do as a a coach
1: um you know he's been out so he's been out so long you know but any any help for the Miami Heat at this point in the season you know with a type of young player that like that you know is it's definitely helpful, but you know, the conditioning and the contact, you know, all it takes for one more one more hit on that hand or a bad play, but you know, I'm sure he's very eager to get out there, but you know, um I don't I don't think he'd be ready, you know, to get out there and perform at that high level at this point in the season.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, would it watching a game as a coach versus as a player? Does it change? Like as a coach, are you watching these games looking to pick up anything, or what? How's your perspective changed watching as a coach now?
1: I think you know from a player's perspective. You know you're you're trying to you know just go with the flow, and it's more react. You know, and in, in the feel of the game and. You know, just out there, and this, it, to me as a player, it wasn't stressful. As long as you prepared yourself, you know, and, and you were in shape, you can go out there and execute a game plan. You definitely still have to worry about the entire team and, you know, the players, you know, you don't want to lose the players' ears with the, you know, the over-talking or the over-preparation. So, you know, just keeping the game simple for the, for these younger guys that's coming out and not complicating the game. But just just being prepared as far as to deliver, deliver a practice plan, to deliver a, a game plan and and to do it with confidence because the players read the body language. They read the body That's language so, of the coach so, yeah. and, you know, they they check the temperature. You know, you know, if a coach is not confident and, and not assertive, then the players might lose a little bit of trust. So. You know, it is it, is it's definitely harder on the coach's side and, and communicating on the court as if I was a player instead of, you know, just being quiet and letting the players figure it out. And um mm. that's a huge adjustment for me. But you know, it, it you know, with time, you know, you, you learn and it becomes a little bit more easier. But it's i it, I don't I don't think it's something that, you know, you can always, you know, be prepared for because the game throws so many things at you.
0: Mm. From your experience, what, what does it look like when a coach is struggling with his confidence? I feel like we we see it more like when a, a player struggling with his confidence. What does it look like when a coach is struggling with his confidence?
1: I mean, I, I think for me, um, you know, sometimes during the games this season where, you know, I was like, oh man, I, I, I probably should have played this rotation or, you know, it was the end of a game and whether we should have took a foul or not or maybe called a timeout, but you know, as a as an ex player, sometimes I don't want to overdo it because you want to let the players the players decide the game on the court okay. rather than try to manipulate them into doing something that you want them to do. Which you and they might not either. see it that way. They might, yeah, yeah. So you know, I don't want to assume that they know what I know. is is It's all about feel and communication, and and that's the that's the biggest part that I'm learning.
0: Hmm. So was this this past year, was this your first year with the gold
1: as head coach? Yes, it was my first year. Yes.
0: How did the opportunity with the gold, had that come about?
1: Um, I just, you know, I went out to summer league in Vegas and just to watch some games. And I, um, I actually was out there to watch some AAU games. And then, you know, the kids, some kids that I knew, they want to go to the summer league. So I reached out to a couple people that I knew, you know, management, Calvin Booth, a couple other people as far as trying to get some free tickets to the summer league games. (laughs) And then, you know, when I sent the, you know, thank you for the tickets to Calvin Booth, he asked me, was I, was I interviewing for the job? It it just, it just came up. You know, that's how, that's how it came to be. And I went through the interview process and, you know, everything fell in the right place.
0: Hmm. So how do you measure success coming off your first year? Like, is it, if you don't win as many games, but you have guys get called up and have success, is that is that a win? Is it if you win games with guys maybe you don't get called up? How, how do you measure success there?
1: I don't. I, I never understood a sport where you know winning, winning, is, winning is the most important thing in professional sports, and uh, that's how you get judged. You know, and but you know, learning in the G League, sometimes you know you want to win, but you know the developmental part and and being able to reach these youngsters and still teach them how to play basketball the right way, how to be a professional, all those things that, you know, you need in order to be a professional NBA player, um, you know, things in the developmental part, the mental part, and approach to the game is, is, is sometimes, was well, sometimes more important than the actual wins. And it was hard for me to, to accept that, to accept that, because you know you you get judged on winning, but you know that's that was the 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 main thing for me was to teach the game of basketball the way it was passed along to me to encourage team team basketball in a simple way, and you build chemistry with your teammates on the court, and you know that's how you're going to be judged in a professional environment. So you know that's what I, that's how I tried to make the approach. What was
0: the biggest lesson? you took or that you learned from coach Rick Majerus in college at Utah? Well,
1: man, the biggest lesson. And one thing I try to tell these youngsters, you know, on any level is in order to make it to the next level and keep moving up the ladder as far as whatever your dreams are, whether it be professional, any or anything, you know, you have to be exceptional. You, I mean, you can't be great. You have to be exceptional. You have to be, than you that, have to be right? exceptional. You have to, yeah. As far as your work ethic, your habits, your routine, everything, everything has to be you know exceptional. One little distraction or you know a attitude problem or, or work ethic problem can decide whether you are a pro or not. So, you know, um, those things right there, you know, being exceptional and not just being average or great. You have to be able to stand out.
0: Right. Switching lanes a, a little bit won't keep you too long. I I like to ask the legends. What was your welcome to the NBA moment as a player? What was your welcome to the NBA moment?
1: My welcome to the NBA, my welcome to the NBA was probably just the, just the process, the training camp, you know, the draft process, all those things, you know, I mean, walking into a locker room and seeing a Sean Kemp. you know what I'm saying? I mean, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a basketball kid by heart since I was a little little kid and you know following the the Showtime Lakers and just to be able to be on that stage it 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 wasn't real to me it wasn't real to me you know playing against the greatest players in the world you know now that I look at it I approach it as it, as it was a dream and it never happened because mm-hmm. it was it was such a huge it was such a huge deal for it for me and, and that the main thing was you know. I didn't want to cheat the game I to leave the game, you know, respectfully and on my own terms, but just walking into the environment and being around the best players in the world. That was, that was my welcoming.
0: When did you feel like you belonged?
1: Um, I knew I belonged, but I never, you know, I never thought about that. I never thought about belonging. I knew I was good enough. It was just about, you know, staying ready, staying prepared. Um, Approaching each training camp as if I was fighting for a job um, and, and it was not guaranteed. Um, and and that was my motivation to be available, to be available to play in every game, every play I'll maximize, maximize my gift and my body, And I got the most out of that. So, you know, for the most part, I think I did that.
0: Hmm. Now, was it hard to do that? Because the first three years in Cleveland, you're getting better as an individual, but the team's just not winning very many
1: games. So, how do you keep that that fire burning? I mean, just to compete and make a name for yourself individually. You know, the main thing as a young player was to you know to earn respect, earn respect of the veterans and the peers around the NBA. And, of course, you know, coming in a, as a rookie back then was a lot different than now. Where you know, you walk in the locker room, you keep your mouth closed, and you have to earn it in practice. You have to earn it in practice with your habits. Of course, now they don't even practice anymore. So it's like, hey, you know, a guy can walk, a guy can walk in off the, you know, get a call up or something. And he can walk in the locker room, run in his mouth, and it, and there's no repercussions for it. I and, and my first three years, it was. It was all about proving myself individually of course team goals and team winners, team wins was very important but just just proving myself that I belong amongst my peers was probably the most important thing
0: hmm. so you had those three years then you you get traded how did what was that entire process like what do you remember about getting traded you <laughs> end up going to the Clippers which is
1: back home for you yeah it was probably the worst decision that I made you know <laughs> and, why? You know, asking for a trade because, you know, I mean, the politics of the game, you know, going into that year, that, that fourth year, I'd actually led the league and I think I was up there at double-doubles and led the league in assists. And of course, you know, you got this kid coming out of Akron, Ohio, you know, that teams was prepared to try to draft it. Just so happened I was playing for the Cavs and, you know, they wanted to go a different direction. I actually trade, and went to the Clippers and then the next year, you know, LeBron was drafted to Cleveland. So, you know, um, you know that's some issues, the business of basketball.
0: Now, you go after your year in LA, you get to Denver. Was that the same? Was your your first year in Denver? Carmelo's first year in Denver?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I played the one year. Played the one year with Cleveland, I mean, with with the Clippers after the trade. And then, of course, teams started tanking. Teams started tanking the season. And, you know, it was like five or six free agents with L.A. So, you know, I had to find somewhere else to go. And, you know, I saw Carmelo had got drafted by the Denver Nuggets. And and I was able to go there as a free agent and sign and play with him his, his first three and a half, four years.
0: What do you remember about him at that time? What do you remember playing with a, a rookie uh, first couple years in the league, Carmelo Anthony?
1: Well, first of all, I think, you know, Carmelo, you know, got a bad rap. You know, he he was a quiet dude. He practiced hard. He didn't cheat the game. And for me, it made my job easier to play with a player like that because all I had to do was pass him the ball. You know, rebound, help rebound and then kick the ball up the court and, and uh, let him attack the basket. And, you know, at that time, he's coming out as the most valuable player of the championship game. So, you know, for me, you know, I think I've made his job easier. He made my job easier. To, and, and we helped turn the organization around moving into a right direction. Hmm. So, you know, it, it was it was a great experience playing with Carmelo. I have nothing bad to say about him. He was a, a great teammate, good dude to be around.
0: What did you think hearing recently, uh, he just retired after, you know, all his accolades? I think it was 19 years in the, the league. What were your thoughts when you heard Mello retire?
1: Well, well, what sucks is, you know, a player of that caliber, and there's a lot of players that came through the NBA that didn't get to leave the game on their own terms. And, you know, whether it was media or the politics, the business of basketball that pushed him out, he could still play the game. But, you know... Um, he put his work in. He put his time in. He didn't cheat the game. I know he felt like he could probably do more and still play at that level. But, you know, the politics and the business of basketball, you know, kind of passed him by and he moved on with his life. So I think that's why he retired, because it was it was just too hard to, to get back, get back to where he wanted to be.
0: Now, that Denver team, y'all had some characters on it. Like, Melo was there, Kmart, JR, George Carr coaching. What what
1: stays with you all these years later about that bunch? You know, we had a great team. We had a great team of offense players and guys played on the defensive end. But when you look at the, you know, the whole Western Conference that we was playing in, every team from 1 to 10 probably had two or three Hall of Famers on it. You know, right, if I you throw it. the Lakers in there, the Spurs ran, Spurs ran off five. The Lakers ran off three or four. You know, you got Houston, Utah, Memphis, you know, all, Denver, Minnesota. Minnesota all the country, teams. Have, yeah. yeah, I mean, the teams, I mean, as good as we thought we were, man, we were playing against legends. We were playing against legends in the Western Conference, and it was very competitive, so – I was just happy that I got a chance to play against some guys that, you know, play with some guys that we actually felt that, you know, we could win, we could win. We actually felt that we could win against those teams And we did at times, but, you know, those teams, you know, with Kobe and Shaq, I mean, come on man, I mean, playing against a, a people that's not even human.
0: You right, know, so our teams, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I mean, but it was it was a great experience.
0: We talked about, you know, Carmelo hanging it up.
1: When did you know it was time to hang it up? Um I didn't know that it was time to hang it up. You you know, my body felt good. You know, my goal was to play 15 plus years or to age 40. So I I, I did both. I played 17 years and I played to 40 and, you know, I actually passed up on the opportunity on a couple two-year deals, you know, to continue playing basketball. But yeah, so, so, you know, I could have kept playing, but I decided to walk away on my own terms. You know, I felt like I gave my body and my mind to the game and, and, and I was a leader, you know, um, I passed along, you know, uh, information on how to play game, play the game the right way to, to younger guys and, and just being a available veteran and, uh, you know, from the sidelines and, and I got the most out of it. So, you know, I didn't cheat the game and, and I walked away on my own terms. So, you know, I was satisfied with, with, with the amount of work I put in in the NBA.
0: If you would have stayed, like, where were you considering going? Who, where were those two year offers from? If well, you did one more uh, San
1: Antonio, because I, I I was between Minnesota and San Antonio my last year, and then I was offered a a two year deal to stay in San Antonio, uh, you know, for for another two years, so. That was one of the opportunities that I had. But, you know, it was, it was time for me to walk away from the game. And, and 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 the game was, you know, changing a lot as far as, you know, the three-point line and and the analytics right. stuff and stuff like that. So, you know, right. I, got out, I got out at the right time.
0: <laughs> right. So you, what do you make of, like, load management now? Because as you mentioned, you play, you know, 17 years. And a lot of those years you were playing – 80 81 82 games what do you make of like the the load management the changes in the game
1: that way well i think it i think it's a part of the game but i think it sucks <laughs> you know i think i think you know hey if there's gonna be load management they might as well don't start season till christmas right you know you know you got guys you know my approach was okay i'm gonna you know be available in practice you know the training camps was like all in October. We was going two a days, you know, they don't do that anymore, you know, and they don't practice anymore. So it's like, how do you form chemistry if you're not practicing with with purpose? And for me, low management was just to me as a as a form of, of cheating the game. Now, of course, you know, the Spurs did it, you know, they, they did it back then, but they were they were, you know, clinching. Clinching playoff spots. Right, they 50, had championships
0: 60 ga-
1: in mind. Yeah, yeah, they had 50, 60 games in, so they was resting for the long haul. But you know, to to, to cheat the game, and not and not play that amount of games because that's that's the purpose of the get ga- purpose of the season. The grind of being a pro is to play in the eighty-two games. But you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's fair that you know a, a kid. I like these kids get paid a lot of money, but hey, you play 45, 55 games that's what you should get paid. You know what I'm saying? So you get, but you know that, that, you know, sometimes change is good. You know, um, some guys bodies aren't built like that anymore. It, it really is not even about the bodies. It's, it's more about the mind. If you, if I swear, if you know, these guys was in the playoffs and the championship was on the line right. or playoffs by, they, they wouldn't be saying, They'd Oh, be you helping. know what? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I can go, coach. I can go, but you know, it it doesn't work that way anymore. So, you know, to each his own. That's the that's the way the game is, and and I I'm glad I walked away at the right time.
0: <laughs> How hard is it to toe that line? Like, as a you have the player mentality from when guys are playing eighty, eighty two games, but now you're coaching guys that are of the, you know, of the modern league where maybe they're not. They're playing. 50 60 game. so how, how do you is that a hard
1: line to toe? It's, it's, it's tough because how does a player know what he can get out of his body if he hasn't pushed it right if he hasn't pushed it so it's, it's easy to wake up and say you know what you know what i'm not feeling it today you know I, I need a day off i need a i need a brain break but you know your your job as a pro is to be available is to be available, to be dependable, to be trusted by the coaching staff and the management. And, and, and it just it just doesn't work that way anymore. You know, I think the, the focus is on, you know, it now, you know, you, you play the games, before you play the games and you're like, well, we're going to play all these games because we want to position ourselves for a playoff spot. Now, I don't even think, the players and the teams actually care about what spot they are in, in the- when they get to the playoffs, whether it's home court advantage or not. So, you know, like I say, change is good sometimes, but I, I just don't believe in the low management. I think it, it cheats the game, um, it cheats the fan base. You know, it, you know, I went. I've only been to like maybe like about less than ten games since I retired, and these fans oh, are really? paying a lot playing a lot of money and say you go to you know a Brooklyn Nets game and then you find out oh well such and such is not playing well this is what we got our tickets for to see this guy and he's not playing right. so you know you have, you can't in this in this game you can't always think about yourself you have to think about your teammates coaching staff and and you know the fans and and that's the that's a part of the whole notebook of being an NBA player mm,
0: definitely and last question, uh, we'll let you go. What's something that Andre now would tell eighteen-year-old Andre?
1: What Andre now would tell eighteen-year-old? Um, don't I would tell the eighteen-year-old Andre to be more assertive and not let anyone let anyone inf- influence you to make a decision that you're not comfortable with Mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, they want you to make a decision for them. Right. You know, and, and I think, you know, that's what I appreciate about the players today. They taking, you know, their careers into their own hands and, and understanding that, you know, their agents work for them and they don't work for the agents. And, and, that they're going to do it on their terms and not be influenced by anybody else. So I think that's what I would tell my younger self.
0: Mm. I think it's good advice for us all. Uh, not just 18 year old Andre, but Andre Miller, thank you so much for stopping by the lounge, man. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Of course. You got an open seat anytime. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Take care. Thank you. Of course. Thank you, man.
1: All right. All right.
0: Right. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by the Legends Lounge, brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge and be sure to subscribe and rate the lounge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And we'll catch you next time.